The Year in Review Medicare Regulation and Legislation Enrollment Statistics And Major Industry Trends The State of the Senior Market Brought to you by Ritter Insurance Marketing Hello again and welcome back to our coverage of the State of the Senior Market here on the ASG Podcast. Today, we have a bonus episode for you, the Q&A session that Craig Ritter recently held to answer questions that arose over the course of this series. He also addresses agent questions on the COVID-19 pandemic and what that's going to mean for insurance sales moving forward. Now, this webinar was originally scheduled to have all the bells and whistles our production team could throw at it. With our staff working remotely, we did the best we could with our available resources and the bandwidth available right now. So the audio quality might not be what you're used to, but the quality of the information is exactly what you've come to expect and honestly more in my opinion. Craig did a great job taking all of these questions in stride and answering them on the spot. So without further ado, Here's the State of the Senior Market Q&A with Craig Ritter. Thanks to everyone who's joining this afternoon and those who were able to watch the last four episodes of my State of the Senior Insurance Market. Appreciate your time in, in watching that. Hopefully, you were able to get some good information out of those seminars. I was hoping to be able to broadcast from my office and do uh, some Fancy video, and as you know, we're in a kind of a unique time in our country. Things are you know, kind of operating in a, in a different way. So with, with that in mind, we, uh, with the kind of bandwidth issues with, with WebEx, which is getting a lot of use along with Zoom, those uh, presentation platforms are, are, uh, have a lot of traffic right now. It's hard to, to broadcast video, so we're just going to do audio only. And I wanted to give a couple additional updates kind of subsequent to my state of the senior market, and uh, I'll cover those. While I'm doing these uh, couple uh, updates, if you do have questions, the way we're going to do the Q&A is that Jake's going to kind of help me manage that and ask the questions, but you can send the question, type in the question to Jake, and he'll pass it along to me by using the Q&A feature within WebEx. If that doesn't work out, we could try the raise hand. You, you raise your hand, I think it's from the uh, attendee list, and we'll try to unmute your phone. Right now we have everybody's phone on mute just to prevent any background noise. We've got a pretty sizable group in here today. Um, and with uh, kind of that housekeeping, I'll go ahead and get started. So just a couple, uh, just a couple updates. From the, uh, from the Ritter IM website, we have posted a blog post on COVID-19 and we try to consolidate all the, I'm sure you're getting, like me, getting a tremendous amount of email uh, from insurance companies, probably from agencies, FMOs, uh, from all kinds of different vendors. Uh, I've seen my email explode, obviously, in the last uh, two weeks or so. But we tried to consolidate everything for you from a company perspective uh, and posted it all in, our, in a blog post. So when you're logged in, uh, I think it's on the home screen, pretty lengthy list. Some of it has to, is more geared towards the consumer and some of it is more agent facing as far as ways to communicate uh, with the companies and they're doing uh, special things that are going on. 
Second, we do have the Ritter Roundtable on Facebook. We're seeing a bit more activity. If there are questions. I'm going to try to stay more active on that Facebook page over the next week or so. You can imagine there's a lot. I know we're all managing quite a bit, exception to that, but a lot going on as we've moved our company to 100% work from home with uh, conference calls and, <laughs> and so forth. It's a little different world for me, but I um, want to commit to you to, to try to spend more time on that. So if there are questions that you have, please visit that. I think if you click on the menu, and then I believe it's resources on Ritter IM. And uh, once I switch off of this uh, PowerPoint, I'll pull up the homepage and show you how to navigate to that Facebook page. That's uh, it's a way for us to communicate uh, remotely and for you to communicate with other agents as well. So even if you have questions about how other agents are handling certain things, there's quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of knowledge out there. So that's a resource. If you watch the episode, you'll you notice that uh, what I talked about MetaCareful as our platform uh, with the, all the social distancing and actually the restrictions, at least in, in Pennsylvania, I'm sure in other states as well been mandated that agents are not able to do face-to-face -face meetings and I'm sure you wouldn't want to do that and your clients wouldn't want that either at this time. Uh, so uh, take us take another look at MetaCareful for either collecting your scopes of appointment or for, for doing enrollment. So, uh, we're so we're not stopping setting agents up for that platform. So if you haven't uh, looked at it, now is probably a great time to do it. I want to give you some first thoughts on the CARES Act. This is the, I think it's, I don't know the number, two, two plus trillion dollar uh, spending bill that passed the Senate, I believe yesterday. House is going to be voting on, signed by the president shortly thereafter. A number of provisions, a couple, of course, you know, read the text, read some of the sections with regards to small business interruption loans. I want to give you some information on that. There's $300 billion that are uh, earmarked for the small business interruption loans. How these work for affected businesses up to 500 employees. So everybody on the call would potentially qualify you know, without knowing the details of it. But these are going to be administered by banks and credit unions, which uh, handle SBA lending. Uh, so the SBA, uh, there's probably a number of banks that are already do the SBA lending that are familiar with that. This is going to be brand new to them. It is supposed to be, rulemaking is supposed to be finalized within 15 days after the bill is signed by the president. So I'd say certainly by, by the middle of April, we should have more information on the on kind of how the uh, administration of these loans will work. But um, effectively what it allows you to do is borrow up to four months of your prior year, 12 months, uh, average expenses for payroll and other expenses, things like rents, loans, mortgages, utilities, things like that. That's just an example of what was in the bill. You know, obviously when the final rules come out, a bit, uh, a little bit more detailed, but then there is a provisions for loan forgiveness as well. Um, I think it's tied to maintaining your employee headcount and the definition, you know, exactly what is going to be defined as an an effective business if it's going to have some specific definition with regards to uh, you know your inability to be able to see people you know see clients i think we've all been impacted by the covid 19 certainly pennsylvania you know, a lot of our business in pennsylvania new jersey new york maryland delaware ohio 
states out west impacted Washington, California, and so forth, and really across the whole United States, and actual you know rules that were promulgated by state governors that mandated that you're not able to conduct business. I think that's uh, the intent of the bill is, you know, not obviously I'm not a lawyer, so I can't say, but, you know, certainly you'd want to talk to your bank um, once these rules come out and see if you would qualify for that small business interruption loan. The next thing uh, are the individual provisions. So there are tax rebates for individuals qualify for. I think it is means tested. So it's like up to like, 100,000 net income, but there are payments that are supposed to be going out uh, and they'll be eventually means tested. So those are kind of the big, you know, the big items, you know, on an individual basis, virtually all of the health plans have waived any co-payments for the testing for COVID-19. Uh, so there are, you know, things you might be getting questions from your clients about, um, Testing was initially very limited, and I think that's become more prevalent now and so. So those are just my first thoughts. Um, if you did have questions on that, you know, feel free to, uh, to put those questions through uh, the Q&A, uh, or if you want to post them to the Ritter Roundtable, uh, that's another way. And as more information becomes available, uh, that's those are all my comments to, to get started. Uh, and uh, Jake, do you want to... Uh, I'll turn, kind of turn it back to you and see if we have questions in queue. Sure thing. We certainly do have a, uh, a group going. And if everybody on the line could just make sure you are muted. It sounds like we might, everyone should be coming in as muted, but uh, just in case, please, please double check that for us. Um, but yeah, we do have a good start of questions here. So the first one we got through was, can you explain or give example of the lookalike special needs full dual plan in greater Philadelphia areas? Um, so, yeah, so the lookalike plans, a lot of times they're in markets where there aren't uh, specific uh, dual special needs plans. Typically, the way these plans work is they have a premium that's equal to the uh, Part D benchmark. And then if someone's full dual eligible, premium is waived and the deductible is waived on the Part D. So it effectively becomes a zero premium plan. For me to identify like exactly which plans they are, I, I really can't do that at this time because there's no public data that I've been able to find which would which would tell exactly what a what a lookalike is because CMS has defined it um, very specifically. It's actually plans that have 80% of their enrollment as dual eligible. So I think that would only be something that CMS and the plan would know on that kind of basis, but you had an example question. I'm thinking that, that the health plans are going to have to provide us with this kind of detail to be able to identify which plans they are. In some cases, we see them um, in markets where there's uh, MMPs, Medicare MMP is just short for Medicare Medicaid plan, uh, and those are the plans that typically agents aren't able to sell. Uh, so you have MMPs, which are passive enrollment plans that are typically run through the state. Uh, sometimes you'll see uh, Medicare Advantage players, health plans, introduce uh, a look-alike product. You know, Aetna has some, Anna has some. Um, you can kind of see it, you can kind of tell what it is by looking at it. Sometimes they have 20% coinsurance for Part B, you know, which kind of is, is a little bit of a tell uh, that that plan was designed to be a look-alike plan. But really, the rubber hits the road where uh, there's 80% of the enrollment is, is dual eligible. So, 
can kind of sense it, but uh, to, to say exactly what it is, is it's hard to do. Hope that kind of gets to the question. It's a impossible one for me to answer definitively, unfortunately, right now. And and you know, looking at the carriers to really be able to give us the full guidance. Alrighty, we'll move to the next question. Then I'm gonna try uh, muting everybody's line real quick. So, if the Cobra legislation passes, does that change the coordination of benefits rule that? Medicare becomes primary and COBRA secondary. If it does not, then COBRA participants would still be required to apply for Medicare Part B. You guys are asking easy questions. So yeah, I don't believe that is the intent of the, of the legislation. Actually, I have, don't know if I've read this legislation and, it, and it's uh, being worked on by uh, NAHU, who's one of the champions of this legislation. I think the intent of the legislation is really just to change what is considered creditable coverage for Part B and not to change the coordination. Uh, so I would say no, but I'd like to look at the legislation there and maybe something. Uh, one other thing I forgot to mention in my opening comments too was uh, that we were looking to maybe do a blog post on the CARES Act once it's finalized and maybe we get some guidance where I'm actually talking to my bank about it as well to see, you know, to get some more detail on eligibility. Uh, so we're looking to do a blog post and maybe Jake, we can do a blog post uh, with a little bit more detail or get something directly from NAHU on that. But without re having read the bill or the proposed bill, it's clearly not passed yet. So we don't even really know until it's, you know, until that bill gets passed, what it says about coordination, but my answer would be no. All right, thank you. Next question is, what have you found to be the quickest way to retrieve a beneficiary's Medicare claim number, MBI? Yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, I would probably post that one to uh, typically taking a call to 1-800-MEDICARE or visit the, the Social Security office would be the best way to retrieve, but uh, probably not my... Uh, not, not in my wheelhouse about a, that level of detail of that getting that needed information. But yeah, I would probably start with 1-800-MEDICARE or trip to the local, well, I guess going to the Social Security office is probably out right now. So typically that's, uh, you know, get beneficiary. So I'm assuming that's a situation where maybe you lost the, they lost their card or something like that. Okay, next question we have is Ritter working on an alternative drug plan finder to Medicare.gov. Yes, we are. We're actually uh, working within our uh, our agent CRM system. We, we added functionality last year for you to be able to add prescription drugs, quantities, to pharmacies to your client records uh, with CRM. Uh, we're talking to a number of vendors. We actually looked at the, developing it ourselves, kind of a first first option to do the calculations. You know, what we found was there's a good bit of data that CMS does not provide in their public files. So you're basically at the mercy of the health plan to be able to uh, get all the pieces of data that are required to be able to do uh, a drug estimate. Uh, so there started, I started talking to the health plans and the PDP sponsors about getting a feed from them. I think they're not not as interested in working with even a large FMO in terms of that, and they kind of push you to a number of different vendors. So there's about three vendors, maybe about three vendors right now that I was aware of research. So we're actually testing that right now. Uh, so our, uh, our deliverable for our agents 
to be able to do PD drug calculations within our agency CRM. And then uh, as, far as, the, um, as far as the Medicare Advantage plans with prescription drugs, I don't, I'm not sure we're going to have 100% of all the health plans, but we should at least have the major plans. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's definitely something that we're planning to have available. This, uh, and hopefully before uh, the annual enrollment period, the ability to be able to do estimated pricing. How does my audio sound, Jake? Sounds better now. Uh, in the webinars, it was mentioned that they will be fixing the COBRA problem. I was just wondering if they will be doing anything for those that were affected by it in the past. Yeah, that's a question. I, <laughs> I actually had the same question, if it was going to be, if it was going to be retroactive. Um, and I'm not, uh, again, that's until you actually have the opportunity to look at the legislation as it's passed. Uh, I mean, I can look at the proposed legislation and it kind of ties in a little bit with the question before about coordination of benefits. But uh, that was actually a question that, that I didn't ask, but I had thought of is, is this going to be retroactive or is this going to be on a go forward basis? So I don't have the answer to that one. My understanding based on you know the, the conversations that we had was that it was more going to be on a go forward basis. So that's my impression, but um, yeah, but I can definitely check on that. And once again, that's really not knowable. You know, it's not known until the legislation actually passes. So it is kind of, you know, just extrapolating what our thoughts are, but not having that crystal ball and not knowing for a hundred percent sure, but I don't think that would apply retroactively. All right. And the next question we have is about the AEP enrollment data that was shown in episode three. Uh, they wanted to ask whether it was only Ritter national enrollment MAPD MA data, or was it total national AEP MA enrollment data? Uh, that was all enrollment data. So not just, uh, not just Ritter, but that was, that, and that comes from CMS's website, basically on a monthly basis, we download and compile all the enrollment on a county by county basis for all the health plans and PDP sponsors, all the PDP plans. Okay, the next one I'm seeing here uh, was about the open enrollment period, which normally goes to March 31st, and they're asking if there's any word on that being extended through the 31st. Yeah, so, um, so my understanding is that there is a SEP uh, special election period which is available when there are uh, disaster areas that are announced. So typically this is like a hurricane or it could be fires or floods are the most common occurrence. Uh, since we have uh, an emergency declared on a national basis, my impression is that there will be a special election period out there for, uh, for individuals until the national emergency ends and then i think it extends 30 days after that so that might be one that we could do on a i don't know if we have a blog post on that yet or not jake but probably would want to get a blog post up uh, and i always like to link back to the medicare website or cms website there is a resource i can't probably won't be able to find it quickly but uh, there are resources that i go to on the cms website which lists out all of the uh, SEPs that have to do with um, declared emergencies. Um, yep, I'm sure as soon as we have an uh, official word on that, we'll be getting a, a blog post out on it. Uh, we do have a couple questions of people asking if this is going to be recorded, and it is currently being recorded, so we will be able to get that out to you. Okay, we do have another question. Uh, when will the requirement for scope of appointment end? Um, that is a um, that is a regulatory issue. So 
that's something I don't think requires an act of Congress to, uh, to enact. And you know, that's something that I work with a group of FMOs with NAHU on uh, regulatory matters and also legislation as well. Legislation is just really difficult right now, you know, right now and probably historically. CMS has been pretty responsive to uh, the industry in terms of you know, trying to do some reforms and reduce regulation. So that's definitely on the list. Um, and seeing that it would not require an act of Congress, it's, it's certainly a, is, a, is a possibility. Um, so no, I don't, I can't say when, but I know that's a priority of NAHU and a priority for me. And I think for the other FMOs on our council that work with, uh, that, that work with CMS to the extent we can in terms of uh, trying to make it easier for Medicare beneficiaries to be able to get help from their agent. Um, so another one came there. This agent has found that all physical social security offices are currently closed. Someone needs to activate Medicare Part B. How might they go about doing this? Well, I know that there is an online method for, for applying for Part B. So it would be, I think, through uh, the social security website. Uh, that's kind of the best, I best idea I have uh, for activating B. Not something I do regularly in the, my normal course of work is not, you know, on a, on a beneficiary level as much. Uh, so I'm not quite as familiar with that, but um, that would, I think would again be interesting, something post to read a round table on Facebook, uh, or maybe something that we could do some investigation on Jake, the blog post, as far as, you know, having all those social security offices closed, but the website would probably be my kind of my first first go-to for activating Part B. Okay, and then any changes, update for Medicare beneficiaries they need to advise their clients? I think that's just regarding um, the current COVID-19. So I don't know if anyone wants to provide more specifics than that. So we'll, we'll come back to that one. Um, as a new broker for Health First, I was told to pick initial material from Ritter. They're in Belmont, New York. I think we'll be able to handle that one off call as well. Yeah. Some people hopped on and saying the forms must be filled out and can be faxed into the local office. Um, some are saying there are items um, that can't be verified online. So here's a question. It's, and I think that's another question regarding whether or not you sign up. Yeah, signing up for Part B. Yeah, given the, you know, given the uh, closure of the Social Security offices, I would have to think that there's going to be some for Medicare beneficiaries who are impacted, not able to get Part B sign up, but you know, I don't have that. I don't have that detail available. I mean, I think the faxing. You know, if, if you can download the forms from the website and fax them in, sounds like a viable option to the extent you're able to do it online. Um, but yeah, as they mentioned, some things can't be uh, can't be done online. So. Okay, we do have another question here. Do you expect to represent WellCare MAPD? Uh, we do, yeah, I guess the, the, just to clarify that question, I'm thinking they're talking about Medicareful or uh, for WellCare for MAPD because we, we do represent, of course, we represent WellCare for all their products and we do have Medicareful available for prescription drug plans only right now, but we are in the process of adding MAPD based on the guidance that WellCare put out probably about a week ago. Uh, so we're in process right now of, uh, of trying to get that. We have the, we have the filing number 
that we received from WellCare. So we're pretty far along in the process, even though we really only started a week ago. So the answer is not right now, but we are well along in the process of uh, getting MAPD available on Medicare for, and I think that was what the question was. And I apologize for my dog barking, if you all. <laughs> I don't think I heard it, actually. Apparently, apparently he wants to go out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. Uh, I saw a squirrel. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we do have a question about the OEP. Do we expect it to include PDP changes in the future? Yeah, that's another, I mean, absolutely, that's another um, regulatory, well, that may be, that may, one may be legislative, I might take that back, because I think that was in the 21st Century Cures Act, uh, it, well, it was in the 21st Century Cures Act that, that reintroduced the OEP, and I did read that legislation, probably would have to reread it to see if, um, if it was just CMS's interpretation, but I believe it was in the law um, that it applied to Medicare Advantage. So, but that is definitely something that we're working on, especially with you know all the issues that we had with with Plan Finder um, past AEP made it even more urgent. And I think that was one of the um, one of the main points that NAHU was presenting to the to the regulators was that there was really no good way for you know if someone picked the wrong PDP plan based on errors in the, in the, uh, in the plan finder, uh, there was no easy way for them to be able to um, switch their, their PDP plan. I think, you know, CMS, on one hand, they want to limit uh, those changes because of the way, you know, it's a little bit of a difficult from an administrative perspective because you have to count the drugs that are used under the first plan towards uh, the limits on the second plan. Uh, so it's administratively a little bit more difficult. That's probably why they didn't want to open up PDP to PDP switches in the OEP period. But that's a big, that's, a, that's a, another hot topic. I, I'd say if there's probably five regulations that NAHU is working on, that's probably near the, in the, either in the top five or near the top five that we'd like to see uh, OEP available for PDP to PDP switch. Uh, great question. Thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I'll just say we are noting some of these questions uh, that we're going to be getting up on the Ritter Roundtable Facebook group page. So uh, some of these we will continue the conversation uh, after the webinar. But the next one I have up here is uh, what are other important legislative priorities for our industry from Ritter's perspective? Well, I uh, I think in the, I'm not sure which episode it was, Jake, but I think I did cover them pretty in pretty good detail. So I would probably refer back to that episode. I don't think it was two, maybe it's two. Um, so I probably would refer back to that uh, from that perspective. I think, you know, the rulemaking and the interpretation of uh, the CARES Act uh, that's it's about to be passed by the House and signed by the president, something that I really want to dig into. Um, try to provide as much guidance as I can to agents out there who were impacted. I think all, you know, we were all impacted. So um, if there is funding available for our small business, our agents who are basically all small business owners, uh, independent contractors, we want to do whatever we can to help you understand that and how to, how to, uh, access those SBA loans or whatever other resources come about from the federal government. So this was the third piece of legislation to address COVID-19. 
and uh, economic impact. There could be more. You know, it could be. Hopefully, this is this is enough. This was a two trillion dollar bill, probably the largest, uh, the most expensive piece of legislation been passed in the history of our country. So, you know, understanding that obviously has a lot of significance. So that's probably where I'm going to be focused for the next 15 days or so, um, just to make sure that all of our agents are getting what they deserve. That's probably my number one priority right now. Obviously, these other issues uh, ongoing. You know, I don't know if the legis you know, how the legislature, you know, it was it was basically very difficult to get any legislation passed, and it was kind of surprising that it was difficult. <laughs> it almost seemed difficult to get this legislation passed as well, uh, even though there was a tremendous amount of pressure on the legislature to do something. So even at that, it kind of took maybe a week longer than I thought it would take. So any other legislation is probably probably a challenge. One other thing I didn't mention in uh, in the beginning that just kind of reminded me of is, and I didn't I didn't get to this point within the CARES Act, but I think there may be an end to sequestration for Medicare, uh, which would be I think uh, a help from the perspective of uh, the Medicare beneficiaries who are on uh, original Medicare. I don't think it's that big of an impact because it's only a 2% reduction in the payment to providers, but you know, certainly helping the providers a little bit. Also, it would, it would benefit uh, the Medicare Advantage plans to some extent because the 2% comes off of the capitation rate, a monthly rate that is paid on a per beneficiary basis. So a little bit more funding for Medicare Advantage, more funding for uh, providers. may have some slight impact on uh, Medicare supplement, but I would say... So it's probably a little to no impact. Okay. Uh, next. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I can confirm that was an episode two. So uh, the ask was two. Okay. Yep, that was yeah. two. So if anyone wants, that one was the Medicare regulation and legislation uh, topic. Uh, next one we have here is, do you have any idea when Envision will be open for new agents? Yeah, I would say uh, we did have, a, did have a call with them. Um, Earlier this week or last week, I think the days are kind of running together. But you know, certainly within the last seven to ten days, um, I did specifically ask that question uh, while I was on the call. They are, I believe, they are in process with their parent. Their parent company is Rite Aid of doing a rebranding at the PBM level and some changes from, uh, I'd say, you know, to some extent, even business direction. At the PBM level, uh, you know, in, you can do a Google search on that and see that they're going to you know, change the name, change Envision's name, and so forth. So I think they are a little bit occupied with that strategic direction thing and the rebranding of the of the PBM. So my guess is it's probably probably not going to happen until June July timeframe would be my guess. Obviously, I'm just putting a guess out there, but I I don't uh, envision pun intended, uh, them uh, opening up to new agents in the next 90 days or so. All right. And then the next one we have is due to the prohibition of conducting in-person meetings at this time, will Ritter be adding the capability to enroll now for Medigap plans to Medicare for? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's uh, something that we've been thinking about for a while. Um, we do, you know, my position historically has been that there are really good tools on the carrier side. You know, there've always been pretty good tools on the carrier side for enrollment and some capabilities that you know we don't even have with Medicareful, uh, such as the ability to secure uh, a signature electronically, be 
a, a secret question, like ask you your mother's maiden name, you could tell me her, her maiden name, and I could use that as, a, as your signature. You don't have that on the, um, on the MA or the PDP side. The other issue you have from an enrollment perspective with a Medicare supplement for Medicare full is that it's regulated on a state basis as opposed to CMS, which regulates federal basis. So, you know, to have, let's say, Aetna, MedSup available on Medicare full would include having to file it in all the states where the product's available. So that's been the kind of the, the hurdle. So I think directionally we're thinking maybe uh, doing it as a redirect or doing it something like it's framed, you know, wouldn't necessarily be within the Medicareful platform, but maybe framed within Medicareful, but probably not, uh, probably not something that we're, we're going to do in 2020. So probably focused more on enhancing the CRM, uh, the ability to be able to do estimated drug pricing, uh, the ability to simplify to the extent we can uh, the enrollment process. So I'm actually talking now with health plans and PDP sponsors to try to push with CMS to see, you know, could we use the same uh, method of attaining signature for PDP and MA as we do with Medicare supplement? So Know, making it so that an agent could effectively secure a signature over the phone where the Medicare beneficiary wouldn't even have to have access to the internet. So that's kind of where my priorities are focused. Uh, that would require a regulatory change uh, in chapter two is the uh, enrollment guidelines. So that would require a change to chapter two. But given the situation, you know, maybe something CMS would consider would be, you know, relaxing the regulations around securing electronic signature for Medicare beneficiaries. Another good question. So the next one we have here, uh, are, yeah, yeah, it's a marathon. Uh, any innovations being advocated for better coverage of mental illnesses? I wonder if that is. Uh, so I'll probably I'll probably take that in a, a certain direction, but there's probably a number of threads coming off of that coming off of that question. So hopefully I take it in the right direction. But I'm assuming that that's more to uh, uh, Medicare Advantage as opposed to original Medicare. So can you just repeat the question, Jake, one more time? So, I'm Sure thing. It was, are you aware of any innovations being advocated for better coverage of mental illness? Yeah. So I'm thinking from a coverage perspective, probably on the, on the MA side. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of innovation um, that's happening in the Medicare Advantage space generally. There are opportunities for EBID value-based benefits. Uh, so, you know, with respect to just for an, as another example, like with respect uh, to the end-stage renal, you know, I'm hearing that there could be plans specifically designed just for ESRD. So, I think that's the trend: is is innovation and you know focused on chronic conditions. So I don't see mental health, you know, necessarily being excluded from that, uh, from that type of innovation. So I'm not familiar with any in particular right now, but certainly CMS has created the, the platform by which you could, you could see some innovation there. So next. I have a question here. Uh, if Joe Biden is elected, how will Medicare change? Um, yeah, that's a... <laughs> I love the crystal ball questions, right? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> right. it's good. It's good stuff. I mean, they're good. Good thought experiments, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, Joe Biden is not would not be able to do anything um, legislatively uh, 
without the Senate. So if you assume a Joe Biden presidency, you probably would assume that he would have uh, the House of Representatives uh, in his court. A little bit of a of a longer putt for for me to say that the Senate flips. Uh, currently, it's Republican controlled. And then, of course, you'd have the filibuster as well. I mean, so if you had any major changes to to Medicare, Medicare Advantage, Medicare Advantage funding um, would probably require filibuster proof Senate would be my guess. So, you know, that leaves you with um, that basically if, if, if you make all those assumptions that kind of leaves you with uh, regulatory changes. So my anticipation is that we would probably see uh, stronger uh, regulation. I wouldn't expect it in 2021 as much as possibly in future years. So, you know, where you have a change in control of, uh, of the administration of CMS and HHS, that's probably where you would see changes in regulation from, uh, from an MA perspective. So there is quite a bit, uh, there is quite a bit that CMS can do. So, you know, things like, the changes that we saw uh, that you know were favorable, you know, deregulation of the uh, MCMG, the Medicare Communication Marketing Guidelines. It used to be the MMG. So would that mean tighter regulation? Will we go back to 48 hours on the scope of appointment? You know, maybe I'd say that would that's a possibility. You know, just generally um, more um, more uh, paternalistic or heavier regulation around uh, agents being able to communicate with their customers wouldn't wouldn't shock me but i don't see like i don't see legislative changes really and i don't see a whole lot probably happening because it takes it takes a solid year for you know things to to, to to turn over so and typically you know you're well into your bid cycle uh by april you know you're into your bid cycle and uh, uh mcmg would come out in june so the administration would only be in place for five months. So typically they just kind of let things run. Uh, so it probably would be a 2022 problem if there, you know, if there was an issue. So that was a long answer to, a, <laughs> but, uh, I could probably talk about that one for, for the rest of the, the rest of the hour. Uh, well, anything we, else, Jake, I'll try that. No, no, you're good. We do have a opening for uh, more questions. So feel free if anyone has any additional ones to send in. We, we got another question about advice for obtaining Medicare numbers. That is one of the questions we're going to be getting a discussion going uh, on that on the Ritter Roundtable. So please make sure to check that after the webinar as we'll try to get some conversations going on that. Um, but currently no other questions in queue. So please feel free to type them in if you guys have any. Yeah, we actually, you know, we we're looking at uh, applications submitted on a, on a daily basis and in, in certain markets, I mean, it's hard for me to tease it out on a market by market basis. You know, I think New York and New Jersey or northern New Jersey in particular are pretty difficult and seeing some significant reductions there. But overall, it's, it's been, uh, been pretty better than I thought. Uh, the number of applications have come through have been better. If you all, um, you know, we're, we're still so open. Everyone's remote, so it's a little bit be a little bit more challenging to get a hold of us, uh, especially me probably <laughs> at this time. But you know, really committed to, to doing whatever we can to help you. Um, so whatever ideas you have, I think uh, you know our focus on our technology platform has really served uh, served our agents well. So if you haven't, you know, jumped into uh, the online uh, methods of 
doing some, some doing in a moment. I think it's important to, to take a look at it. You know, there could be, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but, you know, we certainly, I try to think in terms of contingencies and there could be a second wave of, um, of this uh, COVID-19 in the fall. So that's one of my big concerns is what happens if we do see uh, a secondary outbreak in the fall and you know, what, how does that impact AEP? So us taking the next six months uh, to prepare for that possibility, I mean, is really what I'm, you know, one of my big focuses in the next six months to try to make sure that we do everything we possibly can, make it as easy as possible for you to be able to conduct business without having to see somebody face to face. Because that would be, you know, catastrophic for us if you can't see, you know, if that's your method. I know a lot, you know, there are, you know, agents that work in high rises and, you know, they may work in providers, providers' offices and things like that where it is face-to-face. -face and that's, you know, trying to think creatively about how can we tweak our platform, tweak our marketing um, to be able to continue to enjoy those relationships and, uh, you know, the referrals and so forth, and those, different, uh, those different relationships and maybe be able to do things over the phone or do things, um, you know, remotely if that does happen. So that's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'll be focused on for the next six months. And much in line with that, we did get, what do you recommend uh, for agents during quarantine? You know, I think, I think it's, a, you know, you know, from my perspective, it's been, uh, it's been uh, an interesting, an interesting time. You know, I'm trying to spend more time with my kids, you know, I'm enjoying my son being home from college, you know, trying to get out of the house. I think, first couple of days, I probably was watching the news, you know, 24 seven. So I'm really trying to, I still like to check in on the, on the news from time to time, but I certainly, I don't have the television going 24 hours a day. I just think mentally it was, uh, it was exhausting for me. So, you know, I think opportunity to, to think strategically about your bit, you know, about your business to think about, you know, what, how we might have to do things a little bit differently. Even this AEP, use of technology, big focus. That's kind of, I think kind of where my time, where my thoughts would be. You know, thinking about uh, contingency plans and things like that about how we might want to market differently. You know, I think also an opportunity to to distinguish ourselves from competition in terms of how we service our clients as well. So you know, a lot of our clients are probably experiencing loneliness and, you know, they're, they're quarantined. So, you know, what an interesting opportunity without being, you know, without being too, too uh, impressive or, but just being able to check in on our clients, maybe a quick phone call really, I think would, would go a long way to distinguish ourselves as a, as a provider for our, for our customers. So it could be a use of time. It'd be just making a quick phone call, running through your, some of your clients and, or leave them a voicemail or just check in on them, see how things are doing and how they're holding up. So uh, that's just another idea thought of off the top advice. of my head here. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, we did get a, get a good uh, questions here coming through. So uh, the next one we have is, do you have a timeline for the CRM enhancements on RitterIM.com? So that's, I think the, uh, you know, you're talking about the uh, prescription drug pricing. So the, the goal is to have it, um, well before AEP, so agents would have the ability to, to test it out and not not during the annual enrollment period, but in advance of it. So, 
So, you know, I think that's probably July, August timeframe is what we're, what we're thinking. Then any, have you heard any, anything about easing on annual testing, such as agents selling Medicare Advantage plans for 10 years or longer being required to take a hip only? No, I haven't heard, haven't heard anything on that. I think there's, uh, the, you know, the only new thing on testing is uh, that, you know, NAHU is working on uh, an alternative to the AHIP, uh, which I'm excited about, you know, spent a good bit of time working with them on, on that uh, to try to make it a little bit more agent, you know, more focused on, on what agents see, you know, what's, what's important to agents and not uh, as much about uh, cost plans and MSA plans and things that agents don't really run into quite as often. Um, so, yeah, so that would be the only change uh, that I've, I've heard of or seen. I don't think that there's going to be any relaxation. And I, but that, that's, that is not, I don't think, uh, a legislative issue. So, so there could be, uh, it's, it's something that's possible, but I don't think it's a within the next 12 months kind of thing. Probably a little bit further out, but, you know, something that, think I could uh, get behind, start working, you know, start planting some seeds with CMS on that. Uh, we have one here on the Trump administration's payroll tax holiday. How does that affect funding for Medicare? Any potential impact on MA plans? Yeah, so don't think that the payroll tax holiday is a part of the, so there was, you know, there was a lot of things that were floated out there, payroll tax holiday being one of them. I don't think that would impact the Medicare Advantage at all, but I don't think it was included in the CARES Act, um, except for some very small, you know, kind of extreme cases where businesses whose uh, revenue was reduced by over 50% in the quarter, quarter over quarter. So I don't think that actually is kind of included on a, on a grand scale, but uh, it was kind of one of those things that was floated out there. But even if it was, I don't think it would impact it would basically just increase the just uh, increase or kind of speed up the the, the time frame where uh, the trust fund would go bankrupt. And we have a question here: How do DSNPs compare to regular MA plans? Um, well, you know that's uh, we we did have that DSNP uh, webinar yesterday, right, Jake? Yeah, we had a virtual virtual so, summit. Yeah, that would be. I mean, I think we'll have a recording coming out for that. But you know, effectively. If you have a full dual eligible uh, and they and they are qualified to enroll in a in a DSNP, um, they have zero cost sharing. So that's you know that's kind of the first difference. And then really, what's what's important from a consumer purchasing perspective are is more focused on one network, right? So can they see the providers? Do they have access to care? Do they have access to the providers that they want and need? That's the primary buy decision point. Secondary, and you know, kind of depends on the consumer too. In my mind, secondary, but it may be the, the primary to some folks is you know what are the value added benefits? Things like OTC cards, things like tr uh, transportation could be very important. Uh, dental benefits, hearing aids, things like that. Vision benefits, um, but you know, uh, hearing a lot about OTC, uh, hearing a lot about uh, dental benefits really is driving the purchase decision because you're zero across all the, you know, you're paying zero copay for your PCP, your specialist, inpatient, uh, drug deductible, you know, you have mandated uh, copays on your, your 
generic and brand drugs. So, so those are those are that's really the big difference. Let's see. Uh, will carriers be able to process enrollments promptly, or do you expect delays during the coronavirus from disruptions? Um, we've had no. I mean, we've actually been more efficient, probably, <laughs> from a from a business processing perspective. It's probably been. Uh, we've probably seen more more efficiency within our group. So. I don't foresee uh, I don't foresee that being uh, being an issue for AP. I mean, other than your normal carrier, uh, you know, you have carriers that have trouble enrolling people even uh, without the COVID nineteen epidemic. So you know, you're always going to have you're always going to have that. So so that might be uh, that may be an additional challenge to you know those plans that were challenged in the past, right? So this makes it a little bit more difficult there, but. You know, I don't see, I don't foresee it being a big issue other than maybe some carriers that sometimes have trouble on even in a good year. But yeah, good question. Well, outside of some compliments and people thanking you, uh, we don't really have anything else coming through. All right. Well, Jake, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging in there and thanks for helping uh, curate all the questions for me. Uh, and I appreciate everybody's time. Again, we have those resources. This isn't the end of the conversation. And there was, you know, a lot of things that, a lot of questions that are challenging for me to to answer for you today. So we can certainly follow up with you. Appreciate everyone. You know, be safe. You know, take care of yourselves. Take care of your family. If you can check in on your uh, your clients, I think that would be uh, that would be awesome as well. And everyone have a have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you, Craig. So much information has been covered over the course of this series, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have enjoyed bringing it to you. If you missed any of the episodes, no worries, we will have links to all the episodes in our State of the Senior Market series in the notes for this episode. We will also have a link to our Facebook group that Craig and Jake mentioned during the webinar. That is Ritter's Roundtable, and it is exclusive to Ritter agents. But if you're not a Ritter agent, that is an easy fix. We will have a link for you to register so you can jump into all the conversations we have going on in our Facebook group. And of course, when you work with Ritter, you gain access to all of our agent tools. Craig mentioned a few of them in this episode. If you're curious about Medicareful or the Ritter platform, we will be linking to those resources as well. Just wanted to say thank you so much to our entire team. So much effort went into creating and producing this State of the Senior Market series. And thank you for listening to this episode, the last installment in our State of the Senior Market series. If you liked what you heard here, there is plenty more where that came from, so make sure you're subscribed so you stay up to date with everything we are doing next. And as always, we will see you next episode.